Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of With Tamara Gondor. That is me. As you know, we interview everyday innovators from all across the globe. And here's what I love about it. Great innovation, um, that ability to have that spark, that aha, that thinking differently, often comes from the intersection of random. And I think what is super cool about the amazing job that I have of interviewing people from across the globe is that we create those intersections of random because we have everyone from people who own businesses, who start up businesses, who lead inside large companies to moms and dads and all of that kind of comes together to create this. So if you're out there, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about, actually, here's an action I want you to take. I want you to go listen to one of the podcasts, just scroll through the last couple of weeks. We do four and then the wrap up every week. And I want you to find one that you think, oh, that person, I have nothing in common. And that's the podcast I want you to listen to. There are so many good nuggets of wisdom in all of them. And I think you'd be surprised with some of them. And today is going to be no exception. Nicole, I'm so excited to get going. Welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Nicole DiPietro, and I'm the Vice President of Operations for Jeremiah's Italian Ice. Oh, it's just so succinct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jeremiah's Italian Ice is an emerging franchise concept. Um, We've actually been in business for over 25 years in the Central Florida area, and um, just very recently in 2019, launched our franchising program, and now we are in seven states. So it's very exciting position, and I have just an incredible opportunity to be able to lead a group of amazing people um, to pull out the ideas and the innovation from all of them so that we can do amazing things for the communities. Well, first of all, that's very exciting. Congratulations. Um, I think, you know, what I love about the franchise world in general, I just have to tell you, is that I love that you get to be a part of innovation and creativity, but also part of something proven at the same time. Like that combination, I think, is really magical for a lot of entrepreneurs who maybe don't want to like or don't have the idea they want to start with, but they look at yours and go, oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, it's it's definitely been an exciting journey for sure. What's a recent win or something that you're really proud of? Well, I think one of the one of the recent wins that I feel really proud of, um, and it does pertain to Jeremiah's, is you know we are facing a lot of, of um, labor challenges out throughout our food service industry, and I'm sure everyone's facing this along with supply chain issues. And we we operated last year um, six months out of the year with no managers at six locations, so that was a huge challenge for us. But two of those locations. Um, did over a million dollars in net sales, um, which was for the first time ever in Jeremiah's history, we were able to hit that benchmark and we had no apparent leader. And when I say no apparent leader, so no store manager, we had, you know, obviously we were fully staffed and we have a support team that actually made it happen, but that was a huge win. And then another huge win was by the end of the year, I was um, fully staffed with management at all of our locations. So that was 
a good 13 or 14 months of in the works of making sure that we had managers at all of our locations. And so we had to look at very creative ways of how to recruit and attract um, the talent that we're looking for. We're looking for a very specific specific type of leader at Jeremiah's Italian ISO. So we had to kind of think outside the box and really put some things in place in order to be able to, to get those people in. So I have so many questions for you. I'm so glad <laughs> you shared that because I think every conversation I've had recently has been around workforce in some mm-hmm. way or another. I can't find them. I can't retain them. I, I can't figure out a package that keeps them. I mean, the list I think has gone on and on for a lot of people. So I want to back up for a second because you know, you had said we operated with six months without managers. And my heart started racing a little bit because I come from a corporate background before I kind of jump ship and you know do what I do now. And the idea of kind of not removing, but not having a layer of quote unquote leaders mm-hmm. um, can give you heart palpitations. Like, well, how are we supposed to like, we can't do it without those people, but you did it. And it's almost like challenging a little bit of the assumptions of how the hierarchies have to be. So I'm just curious kind of what you think not having the manager, the almost the benefit of that was to the front staff who was doing the day-to-day. And kind of, I guess my second question in it is, did it help you think differently when you were hiring for that manager job down the road? Absolutely. Um, I think it's it, it's a true testament to the type of culture that you you put inside of your company. And culture is something that's extremely important to Jeremiah's Italian Ice. And we have a culture of accountability. That's fun. And we are often um, a lot of employees' first job. So they've never been to a job interview before. They've never had a job before. Wow. Some of them may be in households where they're not required to do chores. So we find ourselves in a lot of a lot of positions teaching a lot of really basic life skills and even how to mop, how to sweep, you know, how to greet a customer, things of that nature. And so we our culture is so strong at Jeremiah's Italian Ice that the employees that we hire take take an accountability of an owner of an owner basically they have the mentality because it's something that we train it's something that we we lead from the top down that everyone is living those core values that we have in place and so i think because of the strong culture that we have and because of ha- making the attempts to hire the right people and the right training process in place just lent itself to them taking the ownership of their own stores. So we had some young leaders, some shift leaders or lead servers, as we call them. And that really just stepped up to the plate to say, you know what? I know we don't have a manager right now, but I'm going to operate this location. Like I'm the owner, like I'm the business owner. And honestly, it just, it it produced excellent results. That absolutely had me take a step back and say, okay, so now let let me evaluate this. Let me look at the scorecards. Were the scorecards the same with stores that had managers that didn't have managers? Were we still still able to execute the standard that we had? Are we still able to execute that five-star service? And we were. It wasn't without challenges and it wasn't without oversight because, as I mentioned, we have a support center team. I had area managers that were constantly checking in and also gave the area managers an opportunity to teach those lead servers managerial responsibilities that they may not have been exposed to. How to place an order, how to do a schedule, how to cover shifts, you know, how to make sure that they're being proactive in, in all of the areas that are important to us. It, it, it definitely had me take a look and, and to come up with more innovative ways of how to attract employees. So, our director of human resources is an excellent partner and she is one of those she's also a very creative thinker and so we would always put our heads together and say okay so now we need to look at this a little differently what type of manager are we looking for we we need to make sure that we're we're adapting to the to the economic yeah 
conditions because whereas you were able to get maybe this type of personality um, with the pandemic, I think a lot of people did a lot of soul searching and looking within to say like, is this what I want to do? Do I want to be in this type of position? And we, we dealt with that a lot as well, because I think people were exploring new things. They were wanting to learn new things, which kind of took them out sometimes of hospitality. Sometimes it put different kinds of personalities in hospitality. So we were, we were looking for a lot of that cultural fit, which is very similar to what we look for in our franchise partners. So it's not a cookie cutter mold. It is, you know, it's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration when you're looking for a specific outcome. And we had a lot of trial and error. We, we brought some, you know, we may have brought people on that we may have not before that may have worked out. And we may have brought some people on that may have not worked out for one reason or another, but it's, it's a great learning experience. And it also helped us set us up for success as far as how can we help our franchisees who are in that same situation. So I just want to say thank you for sharing that because as I listened to the whole story, it made it, it makes me realize, and I hope for all of us out there listening, to really think about not just do more with less, because we've heard that. And frankly, I think we've overheard it for the last couple of years now, but but really think about how can you change how you're doing things and do you really need some things in the way they are they were mm-hmm. or the way they are today versus how maybe they should look in the future. And like you said, like you brought managers in later, but it really made you think about what is really that job, who should be doing that job and how can that job better serve the people right in those locations. And I just love that because I think anyone who's listening, who's in the corporate world is like, you didn't have a layer of people for a while. Like how could you possibly survive? And it turns out not only can you, but maybe it makes the whole organization better on the back end in terms of how you do it. So Absolutely. That, I love that. That's my challenge to all of us out there is to really think about like, is the way you're doing it now really the right way? And if you had to change it, maybe something better comes out of it that you just haven't thought of. Um, Share a story with me of a time that you did something differently. You created a breakthrough, just kind of drove innovation to move either yourself or the business forward. Okay, sure. Um, At one point in time, so I spent the bulk of my career in hospitality over the past 25 years. After I had um, resigned from my 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 very first job that took me from a server to a vice president role, I took a position as a CFO for a nonprofit. And a lot of a lot of people would always say to me, "I can't believe you're a CFO." You're you know, I know there's a traditional stigma around CFOs or more like back in the office, not fun. Sometimes you get labeled the CF no. Um, <laughs> so. But I've always, I just, I have a leadership mentality. And so I happen to be very good in finance, but I just, I love, I love leadership. I love being able to influence um, people and operations because I do have a unique way of kind of pulling things together, even from the operational side to make sure that it makes financial sense and and things of that nature. And um, working for the nonprofit, which was a domestic violence agency. So it was very, a lot more serious, very, you know, hard. It was very, very challenging, but I was trying to put some things in place for the staff that was, you know, different. So I think for them, you know, previous CFO coming, coming in, they really would just live behind the desk. I was one of those, get out in the, get out in the trenches with them and show them I'm a part of your team just because I'm managing something on the back end that doesn't necessarily impact your daily life. I think that if you have someone that, you know, is in a leadership role that can help inspire you and encourage you yeah. 
do the great work that you're doing, it doesn't matter what role you play in the company. And that's something that I've, I've learned, um, you know, learned at a young age. And I've learned in all of the different positions that I've worked in my life that you can impact and you can influence someone. Um, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what you do, what you, you know, how, if, if they see that you live your truth and that you lead in your truth, they will you know, they will respond really well. And I think that that was something that was, like I said, a little unique to the type of job that I was doing and to the organization I was doing it in, but I definitely saw that it, it inspired a lot of people to think differently and to, to create some different avenues for the nonprofit that um, helped to just, you know, continue to do the great work that they did in the community. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. Okay, so you said two great things that I want to make sure we just reflect on for a moment because they're so important. Nicole, they're so great. So one is you talked about, um, you know, not looking, acting like your typical CFO, at least what we kind of the stereotype that we put. And I know because I can see you in video and I would say, yeah, that is accurate. <laughs> I, in fact, frankly, I find that a little surprising, right? Because we all had that stereotype of like the glasses, like beige <laughs> outfits and, you know, pleated pants, probably it. But you talk about kind of like bringing yourself to the role and, Sometimes I think the word authenticity is overused, but in this case, I think it really applies. And um, I, I think it's a reminder to all of us that sometimes we put these layers of uh, what's what I'm looking for of standards, the way things have to be done in the roles. In order to be professional, you have to do this. In order to be an entrepreneur, you have to be like this. And it kind of turns out that none of those really apply. And I won't go into the whole story, but I will tell you that. 
when I started my career in advertising in New York City, I thought, and I was on the account management team. So I wasn't part of the creative team. I was part of the buttoned up deal with the client Excel spreadsheet team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I loved it, but I thought that to be successful, I had to have like the power suits, you know? So it's mid nineties just to date myself, but I had like the Ann Taylor matching red power suit, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm talking about? And so I thought that I had to wear that. I'll never forget. I had one boss, Alpa is her name. She's an amazing human. And one day I think I just let my guard down and just started kind of really being me. And she was the first person that really embraced it. it was like, why don't you do whatever's going on here? Like, why don't you do that more often, you know? Yeah. And it was my first lesson that like, you don't, just because other people look like that, act like that. I mean, in fact, you could be more powerful doing it your way in a, in a different way and you can inspire others. So really? I love that you shared that part of it because I think we forget, right? That it doesn't have to actually look a certain way at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when other people see that, that, that in you, that's when they bring out their true self as well. And I think yeah. it's extremely important because you do have a, one thing that I've learned just throughout leadership roles is that, you know, a lot of those, the best ideas come from the, from the teams, but if they've yeah. never been encouraged or inspired to give their opinion about things, then they're not going to, but when you're able to get that, when they see that they can be comfortable around you, they can be themselves around you when they get to know you a little bit better then then they start then they want to share. And then I think that's the best part. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing when you're able to do that with the teams that you lead. I've been very fortunate enough to be able to do that because I am more of a bold leader. I'm the one that's asking those tough questions. I'm yeah. the one that's making people feel a little uncomfortable. And at first, it you know, kind of puts people a little bit you know, on their guard or what have you. I can't tell you how many times people are like, I used to be so intimidated by you, but once I got to know you and I'm like, you know, I just, I, I, I what you see is what you get with me. I'm, I'm, I'm just yeah. as, I, I try to be as real as I possibly can and sometimes it is, sometimes it's you're having those tough conversations, but also being able to have the exciting ones as well. Don't you find too with those? So I have the same, I wouldn't call it challenge. Maybe it's a positive. I don't know if I tend to be very, I have no inner filter. So, I, you know, like what I'm saying is what I mean, good yes. and bad. Like that's it. It is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, actually one of the best feedback I ever got in a 365, one of those feedback things mm-hmm. that we did when I was in corporate was with Tamara, you know, like she means what she says. Like I always trust that she's coming to me with the best intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't you find with those tough conversations, if people know that what you're saying is what you mean and that you mean it to move everybody forward, those tough conversations, I don't want to say they become easy because sometimes the content's not easy, but the people on the other side don't question your intent, which I think is where a lot of the teamwork breaks down. It's not actually what you're saying. It's what they believe your intent is behind what you're saying. Absolutely. I always say that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So if it comes to a point in time where we have to have a tough conversation, it's not, it's because I care. It's because I care about you and I, I care about the outcome and how it's going to impact the t- entire team, the entire organization, or whatever situational relationship it, it pertains to, but it is because you care. And sometimes yeah. it's it's it, and knowing that someone is willing to have the tough conversation with you is is you know that's a beautiful that's a gift. It really is a gift. It never feels like it at the time. It never feels like it at the time. But you know, it, I, I always encourage all you know all of my teams. Um, you have to learn. You have to be in a position of learning. You have to be a student of life because if you're not, you're going to let a lot of things weigh you down and stand in your way of your greatness and of your potential. And I think that if you're able to let down those boundaries and be open to hearing someone who who you know is is looking out for your best interest 
interest. And like I said, it's usually not what you want to hear at the time, but I think looking back and it's funny because I have had many, many um, former employees, former team members that will still to this day. I remember one time when we had this talk and I wanted to, you were the worst thing, but let me tell you the lesson that I learned with that. And to me, that is, that's also a gift for me because it's true. It's because those are never easy to do. I mean, sometimes I would have some, you know, tough nights sitting there saying, gosh, how am I going to have this conversation? This is going to be awful. And lose sleep about it. My stomach would be in knots, but I knew it had to be done. And it's unfortunately and fortunately, when you're in a leadership role, you have to, you have to make those tough calls every single day and you have to be okay with it. And you may make mistakes and you may, but I always say, if you're going to fail, fail forward and learn from it and, and always be in a position of learning. Well, and I think one of the worst things you can do as a leader at any level really is push those issues down the road because mm-hmm. then they get bigger and uglier and get more scales on them and get hairier. And it just, nobody wins. I think when you, when you are too scared to have the conversations um, up front. And I just want to real quickly say the other thing that you said that really, I just wanted to make sure we all heard was you talked about getting out from you know behind your desk and going and talking to people and really engaging and, and I'm going to layer that with the other thing you said, which is about like, everybody has ideas and, you know, when they realize that you're there to listen to them, they'll list, they'll say them. Mm-hmm. I think getting up behind our emails, our desks or whatever it is, it benefits us. We find more innovation and people are more willing to speak to us, but we got to be willing to step out from behind our desk. So I think what you said that is really important, both in feeding you as a leader, but also hearing, giving the team that realization that you're there to actually hear what they have to say too. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. If you're if you're somebody that's in the Taj Mahal mm-hmm. office that never is, you know, out on the front lines with with your people, there it's hard for them to trust you. What do what do I know that you don't know? You know what I mean? And yeah. you have to really be willing. And it's for me, it's stretching myself too. I'm not necessarily the most extra extroverted person. Um, you know, inherently, I think I'm more of an introvert. When I'm comfortable around people, I can definitely bring it out, but. I think that's the only way that you can learn is by being there yeah. with them, seeing what they're going through. And, and I often do that sometimes, like if something comes back and if something gets questioned in a process or in a metric that's not working, I'm saying, okay, then I'm going to go, let's go look at it. Let's look at it together because maybe something changed. Maybe people aren't grasping it. And I think right. that's really important when you're evaluating processes and systems, like as we currently are with our franchising model. I mean, we're learning every single day. I'm, I'm evaluating things and I try not to put too much change, but if I see something that maybe worked for us a year year ago that doesn't work for us right now we can't be so rigid to processes and to things that you can't really see if it's if it's if it's generating the result that you're looking for and you have to be willing and some of these things I even created myself you have to be willing to say okay you know what we got to throw this out and start over or modify it you have to be nimble in situation I think in order to be an innovator and to really be in the forefront of things you have to be willing to um to modify, to, to edit, to, to look at it. I think you, you, you have a responsibility to your teams. If something doesn't work, you cannot keep something so rigid to where no one can jump over it and no one will be successful as a result of it. Um, I want to flip it for a second. What's a big challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? So a personal challenge that I faced um, when I was in between my 20 year career at my previous company and then going into this nonprofit, I found out that I was extremely ill and I had to go through very aggressive treatment. And at one point in time, I was so sick that I could not even walk. I was bedridden. And I thought to myself, because I'm very high energy personal is my life over at this point? Like, what am I going to do? I, I, I like I 
I have to, I have to figure this out. And so a lot of times I think in the health system, you have to be your own health advocate. I ended up with something, you know, very, a lot of people didn't know a lot about it. I have um, chronic neurological Lyme disease, and it was something that had impacted me for a course of 10 years, but I was misdiagnosed so many times that I literally almost died. My immune system shut down. And when you're in a situation like that, um, you question everything because for so many different, after going to so many different doctors, they would say it's stress related. It's this, it's that yeah. you're working too much, you're working too hard, um, you know, all the different things and, you know, constantly want to put you on different medications. And you really have to be your own health advocate if you really want to come out of the other side of it. So it was a challenge, but the up, the upside of it is that I'm just a fighter. I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is not going to be my life. I have a lot more work to do. I'm not just going to take this, you know, diagnosis and just be bedridden. I'm going to figure it out. And I think when you have that kind of spirit and honestly, it was, because of just over the years, just what I felt so lucky to be a part of teams, you know, supportive friends and family to be able to say, you know what, I've got to get to their side of this because there's, there's so, I have, I have more fuel in this, in this tank to be able to, you know, to give, give to the world that I'm not going to sit down, you know, and take it, take it laying down. So um, that has been a, a challenge for me because I still have moments where, you know, when you're running at, at top speed, especially as Jeremiah's is, I have to make sure I check in with myself from a health standpoint and say, you know, got to listen to my body, you know, when it's time to rest, it's time to rest. When it's time to shut it down, it's time to shut it down. And that those are commitments that I made to myself. And because I made those commitments to myself, I'm able to do what I am to do. So when I'm on, I'm on, but when I'm off, I have to off. And so one thing that um, I constantly preach to our teams is that self-care piece. You have to have work-life balance because if not, you will literally spiral out of control. And then, and then what good is that for anyone? It's not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for the company. And so I have to constantly, and especially with the labor challenges and just different things, it's just constantly remind my teams, listen, work-life balance, work-life balance. It's a priority. You have to make it a priority. So I think that challenge actually made me a much more empathetic leader and um, it made me really put that focus back on them. And, And sometimes I have to, I have to push them turn the computer off, just turn it off right now. There's nothing that's going to happen right now. No one's going to die as a result of what we're doing. Like you need to take a break, take a time out and take a break. So I think that that's, that's helped me. It, although it was a challenge and it still is a challenge for me sometimes, but I've learned to be, I learned, I have learned to um, work around the limitations. And then, like I said, you know, when I, when I can do it, you'll get 300% of me when I'm not able to, it's, 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 it's shutdown time. So well, first of all, I'm so glad that you came out the other side stronger. And here's my question to you, if you don't mind me digging a little bit. Sure. Um, you had mentioned something there that I think is really important, which is around that like fighting spirit is what kept you going, kept you going, right? Like, I'm going to figure this out. And, and I do think, particularly when it comes to our health, it's like, we really do know best. And sometimes you go to the doctor and the doctors do their best, but they have a quarter of the information and a quarter of the knowledge, frankly, because they're in their own specialties. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, so we have to be the ones who are like, how do I figure this out? How do I figure this out? But I think that fighting spirit is really important. And I think it's often what gives us resilience. It gives us hope. It gives us energy to keep going forward. And whether that's because of a major healthcare thing or because you can't find employees and you're doing the job of a hundred people at one time. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is this, in all of those moments when, you know, the valley's coming or you're in the valley, but you got to get back up and you got to really tap that fighting spirit. How do you dial that up? How do you, how do you find it? How do you dial it up? Mm-hmm. I think so many of us are, are, are in a place where we have a little bit of it, but we got to ignite the fire a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me personally, I think you have to kind of die to self and you have to surrender at some point. You have to basically say, you know, listen, I, I, I'm not able to do this all on my own. So yeah. you need to make sure that you you do utilize your resources, whatever that may be. For me, it's my faith, my family, my friends, um, things that I enjoy. Music has been a huge part of my life, my entire life. So it's something that, you know, when I have to dig deep, I'll let, I also give myself the time to have the pity party, maybe for one day, whereas opposed yeah. to letting it linger and linger. So if I need to just grieve or mourn or, you know, whatever it may be, or throw myself the world's biggest pity party, I will only allow myself that one day. And then I start I'm, I like I'm very type A. I'm a planner. So I'm like, all right, what's my next move? I got to get the plans together. And then that also does energize me because I know that once I get the first step, your next best step, your next best step. And that's also what I tell my teams. I said, you know, just take the next step, focus on the 24 hours in front of you. Okay. If that's the best that you can do, that's the best that you can do. But sometimes we get, we, we, we linger too much in the past. We think too much about the future that we really truly miss the 24 hours in front of us. And so that's something that I'm not always great about, but I, I, I've become a lot better about it as a result of some of the adversity that I face. And I think that adversity builds character. Like you said, it's resilience. It teaches you very valuable life lessons. It, it shows you what's important in life. And, um, and again, I think it helps you, it helps me become a better leader because I do have that empathy. And so like, even recently we had some um, employees come and say, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I said, and if you don't mind, I would share a story with you. I went through the same thing. Here's some things that I went through and I just don't want you to, I don't want you to be out here alone. There are resources. There are people that can help. And even even sometimes just sharing your story makes you feel not so alone. And yeah. I, like you know, having that energy. Like for me, the other side of it is, which sometimes can feel like pressure, but it's also it is fuel. It's fuel. It's like I've got a lot of people relying on me, and that enough of not wanting to let them down makes me not want to let myself down. So I have to do the right things to make sure that I'm going to be able to be my best self to be able to help the company be its best self. You know, I heard, I think he was a Navy SEAL talk the other day and he said, you know, when you don't know what to do for yourself, focus on others and you'll get lifted up with it. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say too. I I also really like the balance of like, Hey, you can feel your emotions for a little while. That's actually, it's actually healthy. I think sometimes we try to run from them and almost try to pick ourselves up too fast. We just can't let it guide our actions moving forward. So I I really like how you kind of frame that balance a little bit of like, I have my pity party, but then I, I move on. I move on with what's right in front of me. Um, What does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? So I think for me to be an everyday innovator, it's, it's being in a constant position of growth, of stretching yourself. I think that what's innovative today is gone five minutes from now. You know, it's may not be here tomorrow. I think that you have to constantly be, and I don't want to mistake that with not being content or not being happy. Mm-hmm. Although I rarely am content with, I mean, if we're here, then I'm like, we can be here. And I don't yeah. want it to ever come across like in a pressure standpoint, but it does, when you get to a certain level, when you, when you're able to visualize something, put a plan in place and actually see it happen and see it executed, then it, there's, it, you can't help but think, okay, so if we did something different or we tweak something different here, could we, could we now be at this level, you know, and what does yeah. that mean? 
what does that look like? So that's kind of how I live my life. And I think that, you know, I am very much a student of life. I want to learn as much as I possibly can. I never profess to think that I have all the answers or that I know everything and that I don't make mistakes because I do every single day. But I think that's the beauty about it is that when you make mistakes, that either lays a path one way or lays a path another way. So when you're able to learn from the mistakes that you made and be able to change the course, I think that keeps me innovative. It really does. I'm not married to... Um, anything except for, I will say my principles or my core values. So if it doesn't align well with my soul, if I feel like it's going to infringe on who I am as a person, I'm not going to do it ever. I'm not going to recommend it and I probably won't support it. Um, but at the same time, I'm so open to learning, um, learning anything and everything that I think that puts me in a position to be an everyday innovator because you have to really just, we're, especially in this day and age, there's everything yeah. that fingertips. And so sometimes that can be overwhelming because there's so many different options or so many different things you can learn. However, I think if you're, if you kind of, kind of reel it in a bit and you're able to take little bits and chunks of things to see how you can, you know, do your, either do your job better or live your life better. Why not? So that's what being an everyday innovator is to me. And then also to utilize, utilize my teams. I think that that's been a big leadership lesson for me um, throughout my life is that I'm not a party of one. It does I, even if I could, I I can't, and it won't be you know, it won't be any good anyway. But you're your your best self when you surround yourself with the people that can help you know get you to to your next levels. And so I think that that helps me be an everyday innovator. Is and that's it's a big lesson that I learned in this particular job because we are employing such a different demographic than what I was used to, and I consider myself to be pretty in tune with you know, what's going on, or I consider myself pretty hip and pretty cool. However, um, you know, we employ a lot of Gen Z. And to be honest with you, the only way that I was able to see, because we were having a lot of challenges, challenges that we didn't have two or three years ago. And so I have to go back and evaluate, okay, so why are we in this particular spot? And then I went back and looked at things and I said, you know, maybe I'm not as in touch with our employee as I think we are. And so I did a ton of research on Gen Z. So Gen Z operates very differently than even millennials and millennials operate very differently than Gen X and baby boomers and things of that nature. And if you're going to employ a specific demographic or a co combination of demographics, you have to understand how they learn. And I think that being an everyday innovator in a role like this is that you have to be willing to throw your, your leadership books out the window and start over, start from scratch. And it, it actually gave me some great ideas to form culture committees so that I have, I have boots on the ground within our, within our teams. Like, you know what, what I think you want may not be what you want. And I honestly learned the hard way, things that I think our team wants, they don't care at all about. And so <laughs> I mean, I'm just, it's being, it's just being honest. I said, wow, I had no idea that this is what they want. And these are easy things I can do. So now that I know what they want, then I can challenge them and inspire them and, and hold them accountable in a different way that makes sense for them. And I think that's the thing I always tell people. People, you know, there's that that adage that, that you should treat people the way they um you want to be treated. And I, I get to the next level. I say, I don't treat people the way I want to be treated. I have to treat yeah. people the way they want to be treated. And you have to understand what motivates and inspires each individual because it is different. So if I took the same approach with you know, one employee than another, and it's completely different because they may value something completely different than this person. And you have to really say, am I really treating, treating everyone the way they want to be treated? Probably not. And you learn a lot when you get to know people. And I think it's, there is a balance between being too personal and then personable, but yeah. again, 
I just go back to no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. If they don't feel that you're connected in some way, shape, or form to whatever the mission, the the task at hand, they're not gonna they're not gonna give you a hundred percent of themselves. They're just not. So I gotta say, you didn't use this word, but I'm gonna use it about you. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, what I'm really hearing in all this is so. So I love the growth mindset, and I don't I don't think growth and being content are actually mutually exclusive. I think actually. It takes someone very happy knowing they don't know what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. To like continue to be open to growth and new ideas and being challenged and changing your mind. Like it's so hard for us to do these days. So when I hear you talk, what I hear is a lot of humility in a really good way because um, it you have to kind of really strip the ego aside to be willing to grow. And yeah. when I look at people who are fixed and people who are growth, and I think people who are fixed can change, by the way. I don't believe that you're oh, stuck yeah. there. Um, yeah. That's one thing with Carol Drug's work I don't totally agree with. I, actually, I don't agree with. I've seen it. But I think people who are in a fixed mindset, the bigger issue they're facing is they've got a, an armor of ego on that is not allowing them to be vulnerable, realize they don't know grow, be confident what they do know, like all of that, I think is killed by the armor. So I'm loving kind of just, I was like over here smiling and trying, there's so many nuggets of wisdom in there. And if I were to put a package on the whole thing, I'd be like, my God, she might be the most like humble person I've ever met because you're just (laughs) constantly talking about growth. And that's amazing. And I also think that is a great example of how you can be humble, but also be like, a spitfire. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you are, you are like me. Like we're both like, here's yeah. my energy and I'm a ball of fire all the time when I'm yeah. on. Right. I'm too yeah. much for a lot of people. And I know that. Oh, me too. Me too. And I yeah. always say, if I'm too much, you're just probably not my type of my, my people. Yeah. But that's okay. Too. That's okay. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but there's, but that being humble at the same time, I think is actually what makes that because you always have your eyes open. So kudos yeah. to you. Um, you. My question Yeah. My next question is, what's a piece of advice you have for everyday innovators of all different styles out there looking to innovate, influence, make an impact? I think that would probably be my advice as well is be open, be open and willing, Be get vulnerable. I mean, be real. You're a human. You're not a robot. You may be the best at what you do, but if you can't relate on a, on a human connection level, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think, you know, to be innovative, you have to constantly be, you've got to throw away the old thinking. And I think um, sometimes that's a challenge. It's really a challenge, especially if you grew up in a system where you had, you know, set of confines that you weren't able to jump over the hurdles with. But I think my my best advice would be is let it get awkward. You know, growth is disruptive. It's never, it's messy. It's not, it's not easy. No one gets from point A to point B by just gliding through. And if they have, it's probably just dumb luck and kudos to them. But uh, if you're like me and probably the rest of the world, you had to jump, you had to go through a lot of adversity to get to the other side of anything. And so I I can just be always in a position of learning and be be able to be vulnerable, be coachable, um, be willing to learn, um, take constructive criticism and, and don't be afraid to throw out wild ideas. I always tell people, listen, give me, I don't care if it's crazy. Give me all the crazy ideas. We'll write them on a board. Some of them may work. If you find one, you find one idea or even half of an idea that came out of your wild thinking, I think that's success in my opinion. I mean, we've seen countless companies, stories, podcasts, TED talks, where someone threw out the craziest idea ever. and, And it led to, you know, billion dollar idea or thing, things like that. And I think that you can't, 
We can't have limitations on your thinking and your thought process. I think that, and put yourself in a, um, in a situation and a surrounding, whether that be a company, a friends group, a mentor group that encourages that. Because I think a lot of times we do get stifled. We get into a routine a lot of times. So it's hard to break away from that type of thinking, but I think you have to give yourself the creative space to be open to those types of things. And you can, and, and, and I think that the other thing too, is like, we were going back to the CFO conversation is, you know, I have a very specific type of personality. I'm a high D, I'm type A, I'm very much in processes. I love systems. Things have to be, um, you know, pragmatic and logical for it to make sense. But you have to be, you like I said, you can't be so rigid to those things to where that you never yeah. think about the creative part that can actually lead to innovation and can lead to, um, you know, game changers for yourself and for your companies. So be be nimble, be open and, and be coachable. I think those are those are the best pieces of advice that I can that I can give. That is great advice. And I'm going to write down, don't be afraid to be awkward on a sticky note. And I'm going to put it on my wall. I love that because I think that's the thing we all run away from. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, you hear about fear of failure, fear of looking stupid, but also just being uncomfortable and awkward is hard for most of us. So that was great advice to end on. Thank you. My last question for you is more personal, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? Hmm. Surprised to learn about me. Well, Maybe a couple of things. I played the saxophone for a while. Um, I love to write. I love spoken word poetry. Um, I love to dance. Music is a huge, huge part of my life. I mean, I definitely, um, I love hip hop, old school hip hop. And people sometimes when I meet, they meet me, they're like, what? I'm so with you on so, that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that I love sneakers. If I could show you my uh, funky sneakers, I've got. Like, yeah. Oh, I love them. They're so colors. Um, and that's the other thing too, is like, I have a lot of different sides of me. I can be like, like you said, yeah. power suit, or I can have you know, Nike Air Jordans on and, and people always comment on my shoes. So I have a lot of shoes and sneakers. Oh my gosh. So mm-hmm. we'll have to have a conversation about old school hip hop another day because oh. that's my jam. 100%. I grew up in Oakland in the 80s and 90s. Oh, like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, in the whole Bay Area. So, yeah. Nicole, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I think there was just, I mean, I wish I could boil it down to one thing right now, but there were so many good nuggets of wisdom in there from being awkward to being yourself to how you thought about recruiting and retention and thinking differently about kind of the structure of the work at Jeremiah. So, thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. And I hope you have a great weekend. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.